Welcome. It is September 10th of 2020, and this is Set the Table episode 19. I am John, and with me is Jack. How's it going, eh? And, uh, yeah, we're here to talk about uh, some good stuff. Um, it's been a little bit of a long day for both of us, and we're going to turn the tables and talk about good things. Um, so like we like to do, and uh, we didn't have a show two weeks back, uh, we were playing, we had to move the day that we played 7C, and uh, Jack was back home, so we met in person, and we had a great 7C session, and so that is why we have missed a show, um, and so we're going to catch you listeners up on uh, on our games since then. Well, um, and that's because it was... Uh... 30 I have I have spent 30 years as the paramour of one matron mother uh which is a massive accomplishment for any male drow <laughs> You wish you well I don't know that you wish you were drow but maybe um, sometimes I, Not a you know I I think the 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 gender issues and the I mean the religion appeals to me and some aspects of the culture appeal to me but it's one of those things where it's like you kind of wish you know the grass is always greener on the other side or you yep, know the totally the the cavern is always warmer a few leagues the cavern is always darker a little deeper. bit to the west yeah so, so it's one of those things that yes i i celebrate drow culture i think it's very exciting and fun um i love to role play drow I don't know if I'd actually want to be a drow, especially a drow male. Fair enough. Um, so, we have had four sessions of 7C since the listeners have heard. Last yes, they knew... Yes, finished. You actually finished the second part of the module that I am writing. Yes, kind of quickly. Uh, last the party knew, it was our second session of it. So, not the party, uh, the listeners knew. So we did finish Paint the Gray Mountains, as it is titled, um, and uh, it, it was good. Uh, and we had a long talk after yesterday's session, and I gave a lot of feedback then, so I don't want to echo a whole lot of it. Um, I will say, for people who have been following it, uh, that the first adventure uh, is takes my favorite spot. Um, but it, it was it was good. Uh, it's a it's a compelling story. It is touching and driving, and it is very satisfying at the end, um, to a point, I guess, because it leads into the third part. So it's like, ah, oh, we gotta we gotta go do the next thing. But at the same time, um, it's good. It's a good thing that we have the next thing to do. I I don't know what's gonna happen when we finish the third one, and there is no more. We'll uh we'll figure it out and we'll report back too because we could do an episode on uh, ending campaigns, which is I've been playing in the same group. We've added a couple. We've lost two and we've added two, um, but they're the people that we lost were people I had met, and the people that we added are people I had have known for a while. So I've known the people. We've been playing for over two years at this point in uh, one of those sort of never-ending campaigns. Um, and at some point, we will have to do a show on ending 
campaigns, because all... No king rules forever, my son. God, I'm going to tear up. <sighs> Anybody who knows any Warcraft lore will know where that's from, and it is heart-wrenching. Um, so that's that's been 7C. It's been very good. Do you have anything you want to say about that? Um, I... I... This second campaign ended sooner than I had thought, and I wrote a lot of extra stuff that you guys never got to. And so um, I, I I gave this as part of my feedback, and we can totally talk about it a little bit on the show because we don't have a super bulky load um, for the rest of the show. But some of my feedback was, was that at the beginning of, what are we calling it, chapter two? Sure, let's call it chapter two. That'll All make right. it easier for so everybody. So at the beginning of chapter two, things we we had a clear mission and things were being driven forward. We had like clear villains and lots of action and it was driving and it brought the story forward and it brought us forward and then it came to a, a stop like a Pinewood Derby car hitting Jello. <laughs> like it still goes a little bit, but it it as soon as it hits, it slows way down. And so we had a tremendous sense of urgency and importance and all these villains, and then it slowed way down. And I think that's why we did it a little bit shorter, because you had wanted us to play, you wanted us to do a little more within the adventure, but we had gone into it with this one singular goal, and my character especially was really pushing for that goal to get accomplished, and the things that we were doing didn't, they did contribute to that goal being accomplished, but not in as direct of a way as chapter one. And I think that's where it, that's where you get the lull. Yes. Yep. Um, it actually. So. So. Ha thinking. Think. Reflecting on it a little bit more because we just finished last night. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually the same kind of milieu. The same kind of. Um, I don't want to say it's. It's not grindy, but it's. It. It. It got to that kind of repetitive. Not repetitive, but like I want to go do this thing. Oh wait, there's all these other things over here you need to do. It's like no. You know, I don't need to I, do them. <laughs> I really want to do, like, I want to climb the 700 steps and talk to the Greybeards. Like, that's what I want to do right now. Well, I'd love to let you onto the mountain, but you have to make 800 arrows first. And you help me find my sheep. And, and there's all this other, like, ancillary stuff kind of gnawing at you and you're like i just wanted like i just want to walk up the steps leave me alone let me walk up the steps and right right and and i i am working on that in the in the edits to the module itself to make that more because there there was a path through this module that was more um like action and combat and and it's, Which, it's, to be fair, we asked for at the end of the other one. We were like, oh, this was terrific intrigue, but could we have more duels or combat? And, and you totally and, laid it out for us, and we ignored it this time. Well, so, yes, and, and what I should have done, hindsight's twenty twenty, of course, right? And and it, and, and here's, here's a tip, right? We're talking about how to be a great DM. 
a great de- I'm not asking you or advising you to agonize over mistakes, but a great DM will look at the end of an adventure and do a post-mortem, do a what worked well for my players, what didn't work well for my players. When did I end a session and feel like that's the story that is in my mind and when did I end a session going what the f is wrong with what my just players? Happened, Why dude? won't they accomplish <laughs> A simple like I teed this it's like flipping T ball. Here's the softball on the tee. Hit the ball. Oh no, we wanna look for four leaf clovers in the infield and hey, did well, you know it's that not not is? necessarily, right? So like our T ball was the cheese at the end. So for listeners, there was some uh there there were several there were three items slash encounters that our uh, delivery NPC could have found or looked at, discovered, eaten. There that... are three pieces to a puzzle involving an NPC. Let's, there you let's go. phrase it that way. Yep. And, and the last puzzle, I, as a, a player, knew that that was the puzzle piece. But my character was sick and tired of, of magic and suspicious things and was like, no, don't do that. And so it took a little bit of, of getting to get that last puzzle piece in place. Um, which I, I think, he, he's not an evil character, but I think it was good practice for me playing sort of counter to the party. And I wasn't counter, I was acting in accordance with my players' thoughts and actions and feelings, sure. but... Um, as a player, it's it's a little bit tricky to know, like, oh, that's a puzzle piece, but my my character wouldn't put it in the puzzle, so... Right. My my character doesn't want a puzzle right now. My character wants to... My character wants to, to deliver the box, yeah. Right. I don't want to but put the box together. there's a puzzle inside the box. Wouldn't you like to do the puzzle? No. The job no. is <laughs> deliver the box. Yep. So it's and we can talk about that more, but um, it it was a really good adventure. Um, I did have fun, uh, and and we'll talk about how you can improve that if you want any more feedback in the future. Um, what happened in your five E game? Oh man! All right, so I I looked at past show notes, and the last listeners knew the party had found a way out of the city of Prosperous after surviving a, a mysterious attack by a construct that was sent by someone they still don't know who is. Um, and instead of taking the way out, they sent some of their uh, NPCs out. It was one of the the player character's parents um, and decided to snoop around a little bit more. They were waiting for some magic items to, to get done. And they wanted to stay in the city, and so they split up. And not to... I love when parties split up. And I'm always the player who wants the party to split up. And I know DMs are afraid of that. Um, don't be. Splitting up is a great opportunity for some DM bamboozlement. And so my bamboozlery was uh, knocking half of the party about half. No, we got six. It was half the party to to to, to zero hit points. Um, more than half, actually. It was four of six. So one of the players made use of an item that I gave a while back, and 
I would love to gush about my Pantheon, but I won't. Um, basically, it was a gift from a an unknown god that was the e equivalent of, of kind of a wish spell. Um, it's a prayer, so mechanically wish has all these requirements and the chance to fail and you can mimic any other spells. My prayers are, hey, this is what I would like to happen. More like 7C, right? This is what I would like to happen. Does that work? Yeah, that works. Um, and so one of my players used that um, and it's a one-time use to get everybody out of the city and into a, a safe place that they've been before in a place called the Autumnal Village um, about three or four days north of the city. Um, they've been there before a couple of times. One of their contacts there is a, a wealthy, well-known uh, lady of a manor who assists in the abolitionist efforts in the city of Prosperous, because slavery is pseudo-legal there, and, and she's a big player in getting that to, to stop and getting people out. Um, so she's got some power, and so they've worked for her before. They've been at the Lakeside Manor before, and before they tried to sail out, they were level 4 maybe, um, and they tried to sail out onto the lake to fight Marrow to look for a relic called the Celestial Crown that is rumored in folklore to have been in one of the cities that fell into one of these two lakes. And in my world, it's a region called the Twin Lake region. Um, so the first time they went there, they fought five marrow on the boat about halfway to the destination, and they decided to turn back. So this time, they are level nine, they decide to go back out. And they fight five more on the boat as they go out, and a couple of them escape, and they manage to make it to this little island where there is a broken tower and they investigated all of this um, and they're looking for uh, this this deific artifact and they make it into the city that lies below the fallen city from the sky that crashed into the lake millions of years ago uh, or thousands of years ago sorry and um, they kill two of the marrow so six nope yeah um, James Kelly Five, sorry. Five level nine PCs fight a total of seven marrow, which are CR2 monsters, and they decide to leave again. Which, as a DM, I am very happy that I'm able to make something that is not that scary feel very scary. Um, but that's a side quest that they have put to the side once again. So at the end, of, and I'm recapping of four weeks. Uh, so by the end of, of last weekend session, they were back in the manor. Um, they had the magic items back in the city of Prosperous, and they gave the money to pay for those to the lady of the manor. And because she has all these connections, she's going to pay for them and get their items safely out of the city in the next couple of weeks. Um, and now the party is resting at the manor after their Marrow Expedition Mark II. And uh, they have been given a map with a couple of other uh, questionable locations, so I kind of hope they go to explore those next. Um, but I don't really know. So that's the, the joy of being a DM, is giving your party a sandbox and wondering what they will build. Uh, so that's kind of where we're at. They've made a lot of progress. They got out of the city. They used uh, a lot of their powerful magic. Um, 
and I got a, a moment of, ooh, excuse me, um, I got a moment of, this isn't that bad, but I made it seem bad enough that they didn't want to do it, which was a very cool moment as a DM. Um, and I could gush a whole lot about that more, but what, uh, have you been playing 5e? What's Dolrea's story? Because last so, we knew, she was trying to kill the party, and the party was about to, to either die or get out of this prison. So so the explosive event that Dolrea may or may not have had a hand in, just in case my party members are listening... Definitely uh, did. Did, well, that, that, that has not been proven. <laughs> okay. That has not been proven in a court of law. In fact... <laughs> Uh, she is no longer under suspicion due to a natural twenty on a deception roll. Awesome. Um, but she, she, the explosion was not as powerful as whoever said it would have hoped, um, and the the prison guards trying to rope her into being a prison guard and being a trustee and working for the warden is really rubbing her even more the wrong way. Um, so she is working. We, we, we've had some breaks because of um, uh, some travel and some schedule conflicts. So we've had two or three weeks of, of no play. Um, but the, the last game that we did play, there was the, the explosion happened. The guards questioned her. She did very well on her deception rolls. Um, nice. To, to disconnect herself from anything. And she is still trying to find a way to just end what is going on. This is this isn't Jack the player trying to get out of the game. I'm finding right. the game fabulously fun. Um, this is we, we talk about we talked a lot about character versus player. This mm -hmm. is the character. It just doesn't make sense narratively for this character to continue on working for the guards and and being a being a narc and and she she just wants to fade into the background and be left the hell alone right um, right ooh and, and, this is a good that's a another good idea for a show is talking about swap if you are a player swapping characters yes, we had a little bit of swapping. yeah we had a little bit of that in uh 7C cuz i I am at a point, especially because you mentioned in the, the post-show discussion that the next chapter was a little bit more magic-y. Um, my current the... character is about done with magic, and so I might bring a different character in. So we should, yeah, maybe our well, our next show is should be a guest show if we can get a guest on. Right. Um, but the, the one after that, we should definitely talk about swapping character. Maybe that's our the... guest show. I've got a character guy who swapped a couple times. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so what's this show about? Yeah. Well, last last episode we talked about uh, like the big bad evil guys, the BBEGs um, of our campaigns, uh, how to make them, what they can be, all sorts of other good stuff about bosses in tabletop roleplay games. Um, so if you're looking for any boss advice, go hit up episode 18. Uh, this week, we're going to turn and talk about a concept that we, we've mentioned on the show a couple of times and you are very picky about. Um, and it can be tricky for new DMs to handle, especially in 5e. Um, so we, we try to be system agnostic most of the time, 
Um, but I think as we're talking about this, we're talking about it in a 5e sense, unless we say otherwise. Well, um, I, I, I think there are there are mechanics like this in many systems where, uh, and we'll describe the mechanic here momentarily, but I, I don't think this is purely a 5e. This is a Pathfinder problem. Sure. This can be a Starfinder problem. Um, this could be an alien problem if you play alien yeah. Um, yeah. in a merciful in a merciful way. Sure, um, sure. So, so what we're talking about is the five-minute workday, um, and and Jack has mentioned it a couple of times on the show before, and I think I might have used it once or twice. Um, so, so, so here, I'll, yeah, I'll you're DM. you're a I'll fan of it. it. What's the five-minute workday? Let let me DM it, and then you you are my players. Okay, this is how we'll play this. Sure. Okay, players, you have. Uh, traveled, you set out from the tavern at first light and you walk through the forest and you come to an interesting cave. There are tracks leading in and out of the cave. They probably are goblins, but the mud and the snow and the rain have, have washed them into just uh, round puddles. You poke your head into the cavern and you definitely smell goblin scat. You light your torches and wander probably 30 feet just where the light, the morning light dies and your torches take over, you can see a roughshod wooden door. You kick the door down and surprise four goblins. Roll for initiative, and then combat ensues. We, the we handily cast... defeat the goblins. Sure, but you cast some magic missile, and the bard blows inspiration a couple of times. And Oh, and... as a paladin, I definitely use my smite. Yep, you use your smite, and the warlock does some stuff. And then what happens right after the combat's done? Maybe a character lost maybe a third of their hit points. One character lost half of their hit points. I, as a paladin, did not lose any of my hit points. Right, of course not. But it now, after the combat's all done, in game time, it's 10 minutes after 9 a.m., and what are you going to ask me for, players? Can we take a short rest? Or, nope, our wizard used his spell slots. We need a long rest. Right. It's 9 a.m. in the morning. We just got up four hours ago. Can we please go to bed? This is the five-minute workday, and, and it is a metagaming kind of thing uh, where you use your spell slots, you use your bardic inspiration, whatever, whatever the mechanic is that says you can only do this thing so many times per day or so many times per long rest, you go, yeah. wow, you know, tackling these four goblin guards was more than we expected. Maybe we should take a long rest. And it's like, um, as a DM, I, I automatically just say, no, it's nine ten in the morning. Yes. You have a bruise. Yep. You have a, a flesh wound. You can take, you can take a short rest. You can take some, Get a breather, bind your wounds, get a drink of water. Yes, this was a fight. Like if if you've done any kind of boxing or or martial arts, you know that after even a ninety second fight, you 30, need to 30 catch, seconds is you need just to catch miserable. Your yeah. You know, I mean, if you if you if you think that that's not a thing, do a hundred jumping jacks as fast as you can and then see how you feel. Right now, if, can, can I stop for 15 minutes? No, you do it right now, right? <laughs> of course you're not going to do 100 jumping jacks, be short of breath, 
be sweating, be sore, and want to go do another, you know, do 20 sit-ups. No, right. you're not going to do that. Right. You're going to sit down. You're going to get a glass of water. You're going to catch your breath, and then you're going to go on to the next thing. But after you do 100 jumping jacks first thing in the morning, you aren't going to go right back to bed and sleep for eight more hours. No. No, you're right. not. And, you're going to sit down for 15 minutes. Right. That is the, the long rest. The fifth, and, and it's called the five-minute workday because metagamers, especially in 5e, Pathfinder, Starfinder, games where this you have these kind of once-per-long rest usage patterns you go wow you know well my character wouldn't walk you know and you think about that it's like would i walk into another combat situation knowing i can't use my ability right i have no magic missiles left i'm a wizard i've got eight hit points and a staff and no armor like i'm I'm not doing it folks i'm wearing a linen robe i have no more magic and i have a knife yep like i'll wait here and, it and, it is tricky. It is. Um, it is. And you you said this. You said sort of the solution to it. Like as the DM, you can say no. Right. Um, well, so so the the problem is if you get a particularly metagamey party. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a real phrase or not. But if you get a party a that bit. really knows the rules well, they might say, well. Yes, but you know we are wounded and our wizards out of spells. And yep, it's nine ten in the morning. We're gonna go back to town and have lunch, and then maybe um, we'll talk to the blacksmith. Maybe there are other NPCs we can. So so they in my group this is called putzing, right? Mm-hmm. Where instead of working on the main storyline, um, you go back. And and this happens in video games, right? Like I'm playing Skyrim. And I'm, I know Skyrim's an old game, but I'm playing Skyrim and I'm fighting, 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 and I eat a bunch of stuff and crap, I'm out of food and I'm out of potions and I, I don't play magical characters very often, so I don't have any healing magic. Mm-hmm. Maybe I will leave this dungeon and go back to town and grab some food. Sure. Right? sure. Well, so um, it's, Skyrim's a hard analogy because you have to like you, your mag your magica will recharge over time so right. if you know even if you don't have healing magic like you can i mean you do you do everybody starts with healing so you could put it on and you could wait um or or, or maybe i'm uh, i'm thinking i'm thinking diablo where diablo, you, yep. you go into the dungeon creed. oh yeah sure assassin's creed I'm, one of those I'm where out, you i'm out of arrows i'm i'm out of blowpipe i'm out of bullets um, and every corpse I've I've looted for the past eight corpses doesn't have bullets. I'm just gonna go back to Monteregioni. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Or I'm gonna go back to Iguana Bay, or I'm gonna go back to my ship. I'm playing Black Flag now, but uh, hence the um, Assassin's Creed reference. <laughs> so, so, right, and and you know people do it in video games. Uh, I don't like it in role play games and 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 uh when when we were we were re- writing out the show notes it was pretty funny on google google docs because it's like um and, and actually i'll wait i'll save that till we get to prose right sure well that's so i because it happens so it happens in other games okay i don't want this to turn into a jack hates 5e tirade right no no, um, no. we we know it's 
It's system agnostic. Right. Vamp- Vampire the Masquerade, right? I s- I'm going to spend the night frinking. What, what, what is frink? Frinking is fake drinking. That oh. way I don't have to make a constitution roll or a, or a stand. Oh, because you're a vampire and drinking means blood. Down, so, right? okay. I get frinking um, now. I mean, I could burn a blood point and up my human. I could burn a blood point so that my digestive system would process the alcohol. But if I burn the blood point, that Gifted. puts me close Replenish to frenzy. Yeah. And my will, you know, so, so a lot of this has to do with the mechanics of the game and the players uh, minor metagaming, major metagaming, trying to make sure that the condition that would trigger something bad doesn't happen. Like, I, I sure. don't walk my eight-hit-point wizard into a combat situation with, with no spells. Right. I don't make it so that my vampire is one blood point away from frenzy because if he winds up having to burn blood to to activate a discipline he's rolling way more hunger dice than i'm comfortable with right right uh, alien right i i am not going i'm going to choose to sit here and do nothing because i don't want another panic dice because gosh darn it if i roll one more panic dice well I that's might want alien's kind of an interesting situation but um, so they and and the nice thing with Alien is the pacing of the game and the the canon of the game and and players' expectations are that the the xenomorphs are going to jump out and try and eat me. So it's more of a right. I think your players know narratively like rest is not you're not resting like you're here to do a thing in GTFO like right. I, I have got to get the spaceship part and the battery. And if I don't get it in the next three hours, I am going I'm, to die. I'm dead. Yeah, exactly. And, and 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 you know what? I will deal with the panic. It's a push your luck mechanic, right? Mm-hmm. Versus, we talked about it way back. Yes, and and I think that's one of the ways to solve this five minute work week is instead of these once per day things. You, you're guaranteed it once, like once per day, this is going to work, right? You're a bard. Of course you can inspire people once per day. But mm-hmm. if you try it twice per day, there's a chance you might strain your vocal cords. There's a chance you might break break a string on your lute. Like, that's those are the, the mechanics that I love. You like pushing your luck. Per day, right? There's yeah. a push your luck kind of mechanic, which is very Appendix N. It very closely fits with the literature and the stories and the folklore around both fantasy and sci-fi uh, liter- fiction. Yeah, right? I, I think narratively it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think it's hard to implement mechanically, which is, well, sometimes, right? In some systems it's hard to, to implement, which is probably why we don't see it very much. And other times... Right, so my retort to the five-minute workday, in in your major complaints of it, right, um, are that you don't have to, you don't have to allow it, right, as the DM, and that was your first. We kind of jumped in to fixing it, but that's where I start my discussion about it because I I have not yet dealt with this in a way that 
I have felt has interfered with my players' enjoyment of the game, my telling of the story, or the the realism of their fiction. Because um, I've, I've definitely had parties say, like, oh, man, we should take a rest. And it's like, oh, you guys have only been up for two hours. And they're like, oh, okay, I guess we'll keep going. Can we do a short rest? And it's like, yeah, that's fine. Um, right. And and I look, I am not upset about the short rest. I, no, I, I know. That is... Hey, anytime, you know, I take short rests. When I go deer hunting in the woods, I take short rests. Absolutely. Uh, I, I have a massive hill to hike up before I get to my, my favorite stand. So, yeah, about halfway up, I take a short rest. It's eight to ten minutes of looking around and listening to the woods and catching my breath and maybe gulping down a little bit of water and, and I think, checking the I think mechanically... A short rest is an hour. Um, so you're taking a very short rest. I think a lot of DMs knock it to, to you know, like a short rest could be anywhere from 15 minutes to, to two hours. like Right. Um, which, which suits your scenario. Um, so like you mentioned, one of the fixes to this is just saying, no, you've been up for two hours. Like you, you can't take a, a long rest. You could do a short one. Um, I think... Sometimes I I usually try to go for like one long rest per twenty four hours and one short rest per twenty four hours, um, and sometimes I I have not given players a short rest or a long one for that matter. I've had a couple of of cases in in my games where I've had long rests go foregone, um, but as the DM, like you said, you don't have to allow rests. So my party was clearing out a a demon infested mine. They made it about 80% of the way to the boss, unbeknownst to them, of course. Um, and they want to walk back to the entrance and take a short rest. Uh, nope, can't take a short rest. Short rests have to be taken in safe places, and the mine isn't safe until it's cleared. So, nope, sorry. And like you mentioned earlier, too, like if the party says, oh, well, we'll just go back to the inn, we'll, we'll, we'll take a rest there, we'll have some lunch. I, I kind of encourage... Uh, very survival RP mechanics. So if my party's like, oh, we're going to stop to eat lunch, which they've never done, I would totally let them take a rest on that. Because I like the idea of my party, because you do this when you're a player, and most of my friends are, are considerably younger. Um, and so you really like the, I will set up camp. I pitch my tent, I build the fire, I'm going to get out my mess kit, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make lunch for everybody and distribute it. Like I I love that stuff because I grew up with you DMing and playing in my games doing that. Um, but my current party does not. So if they ever so, did that, it'd be a that that's a great way. If you're a player, I know we gear this towards DMs, but if you're a right. player, that that's a great way to get your DM to be like, oh yeah, they're just role playing. This is terrific. And um, and so as an old school dm and having played with other old school dms we used to keep track of things like when was the last time you ate when mm. was the last time you slept and I, I have this later in my bullets but sure if you have a party that doesn't stop and eat give them exhaustion sure sure get hey you're hungry make a constitution roll or you've got disadvantage on the next combat rolls until you stop and eat yeah, yeah, that's a good way to do it. And, and then when they go, 
Well, I left town without any rations in my bag. Like uh, in, now in, they're in 1979 when my friends left town without rations in their bag, they starved. Like okay, well, <laughs> you're wicked hungry now. Do you want to keep going on the dungeon or do you want to forage for mushrooms? Well, right. what happens if I eat some mushrooms? Well, you you know, <laughs> make, make a constitution a check. check. <laughs> make a nature check to see if you find the non-poison ones. And if you fail the nature check, make a constitution check to see if you die or not. Sure, sure. And, and when we talk about the rest, like, yeah, there, there were times playing keep on the Borderlands in the basic Dungeons and Dragons set where I had a party spend a week in the woods before they even got to the canyon full of caves like hunting deer and quail and looking for eggs and fishing and making sure uh, they had enough provisions okay um little more they, little more of that survival rpg huh yeah well and and just more more realistic story play and and again that it's a balance right we would never mm -hmm. and, and i realize as i'm saying all of these things i would never do that in our 7th c game Right. Well, it's it depends on the setting too, right? And 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 the the necessity of that. So I I like I said just earlier, I've been running this for over two years. Back over a, uh, maybe less than a year. Yeah, maybe like uh ten nine months ago, um, my party found themselves on an island. I talked about that on the show. Um, you did. Yep. And that was the point after a year plus of playing that I decided to start having them keep track of encumbrance and food and water because at that point it mattered and like you mentioned you wouldn't do that in 7c because all of that is sort of hand waved because it's a narrative game like it's not supposed to be about survival as much as 5e pathfinder starfinder etc um, right where you get that little bit of okay well like sure if you guys are traveling bet between towns or you're in like really uh, verdant woodlands and there's obviously like berries and deer around like I'm not going to worry about it but you're on a hostile island and you've only brought this many resources and you don't really know what's safe around the island yeah we're going to start keeping track of it so I think when it makes sense to enforce and and we could I don't know that we would do a whole episode on encumbrance and realism we could do a whole episode on realism probably we we um, could talk about realism in games. Absolutely. Yeah, I I, th I think the real the real thing there is talk about it in session zero and find out like what your what sort of game your party wants to play. Like, do they want the survival aspects? Don't they? And you can throw like I did. You can throw it in when it matters and not when it like in seven C. If we were stranded on the boat and sinking, you might be like, all right, well, what do you guys have for food and water? <laughs> and it might right, be an if, issue. If, you you are going to swim to a desert island and need to stay there for a certain number of days before you're rescued. We might start talking about provisions and yeah, and that certainly kind of stuff. we totally would. Be, well, because it supports the narrative. Yeah. So, um, like you you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, I think consequences for these things are appropriate. So your party that is in the mine, they go all the way out to have lunch and. At the end of their lunch, as they're wiping their mouths with their napkins, they hear screaming and the bells of the guard ringing, and some of the demons have emerged from the mine, and they're murdering townspeople. Like, it's okay to have pretty bad consequences when your party decides to be restful, especially during 
narrative moments where they need to be active. Um, yeah, and 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 we go back to the discussion about villains and NPCs, evil mm -hmm. bad guys, right? Right, killing people's the, okay. <laughs> the bad guys, right? This is a tabletop role play game. This isn't World of Warcraft, right? You, I'm out of his aggro ring, so I can sit right here for as long as I want, and he won't jump on me. Right. That that's MMORPG crap. That's not, not how TTRPG role play games, right? Yeah. Hey. Those four goblin guards, they're supposed to report in every four hours, right? Every four hours, they're supposed to walk outside the cave and pick up a little rock and throw it down the tunnel to let the next set of guards know that they're okay. Now, if your party doesn't know that that's what's supposed to happen, because that's pretty a weird, pretty weird thing to happen, right? That's, maybe a, good, that's a, a good idea right there. Maybe they can make a roll, you know, goblin lore or a history check or a survival check or something, warfare check, whatever it is. Sure. But if they fail that check and they don't know that these guards have some kind of signal to the people deeper in, well, what's going to happen, right? Well, the other guards are going to come looking. Maybe the goblins, like those are our four strongest warriors. And if they've been defeated, we're going to, you know, you hear a rumbling deep inside the cave because they've mm. knocked down the rockfall trap and they've created a avalanche to block off super powerful invaders because they know they can't beat you. Right. And that's a good, that's a good idea too. And they'll use some other secret way to get in and out of the cavern to try and figure out who beat their four best warriors of the tribe. Like, yeah. there there are ways to to make the story happen, even if the even if the players are like, you know what, I don't care. And and I I've seen this. I, I have I have been in a party mm -hmm. that has done this. Uh, mm -hmm. I wasn't thrilled with it, but they said. We don't care if you're giving us a rest or not. We're going to sit here for eight hours. Okay, eight hours pass. What happens? And or well, eight so, hours pass. ooh, this is a good, good little segue. Yeah. If a party does want to take a long rest or do something like that, having a random, air quotes, random encounter happen to interrupt the rest is an awesome way to befuddle that sort of behavior. Yeah. So I think we're talking pros and cons at this point. I, I've kind of skipped ahead. Yes. We both did a little bit. Um, right. Let's so, do so let's do cons I, first. You want to do because I was all I've all wound up to do my pro first. No, because your your cons. pro is that there aren't any. So no, there are no pros. It is the hella dumbest thing in the world. All right, all right. So so do your do your cons. What? So five minute work day, being able to just rest and completely recuperate. What? What don't you like about that 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 you feel as a DM you can't manage? So I think it kills the narrative. It takes like so so if I, I'll, and a lot of a lot of my games, I play in a very kind of cinematic or story driven um, you do. Way, you you really right? do. Dolreo is very like you said earlier. It's very story, not player. Right. So so imagine Bilbo and Samwise in the in the Return of the King. Bilbo they or just, Frodo? Uh, Fro. I'm sorry. Frodo and Samwise. Okay. Right. They <laughs> yep. just beat the crap out of Smeagol for allegedly the last time. Right at the mount 
mouth of Mount Doom, mm-hmm. right? They had a combat with an NPC, and the end of the quest is 500 yards into the volcano. What do you guys do? We're going to take a long rest. It's like, no! They, they, they didn't, they didn't do they that. Didn't do that, right? No. Sam, Sam uh, Frodo is exhausted from the fight, and Frodo and Sam have a moment, and Sam says, if I can't carry it for you, I'll carry you, and it's beautiful, and he picks him up, and he walks into the volcano, and can you imagine if J.R.R. Tolkien had just said, so Samwise gets out his pot, and they start a little fire, and they they cook some herbs, and they eat some lamas bread, and they try and get some sleep. We're jumping way down the list to talking about like <laughs> trust and faith, but sure, right? No, that would be ridiculous. This, this and and I'm I'm a, I'm using that example to explain why I have a real heartburn with the long road that's that's why when when it's like what are the pros it's like there are no pros it's hyper it's hyperbole but i get it you know and yes i'm i'm i am using a little bit of hyperbole to make my point now now if you look mechanically yes there there is there is a balance issue right because um well well (laughs) well no there is a balance issue A, a level one wizard shouldn't be albus dumbledore he shouldn't be able to just snap his fingers and cast as many magic missiles as he wants right because... but they 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 already can't right they have to rest for eight hours which if they can't do then they're not doing you know right and 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 the other the, i guess the other problem and I, i'm going into cons so why don't you you tell me the pros because you obviously have them in the notes here i do i i've I got don't. some so, right I, so I don't think it's I'll the worst thing water. you start telling the listeners your pros sure so i i, I think that different differ the so mechanically right you're talking mechanically right and i i mentioned it earlier that this is is a little bit more 5e directed um but I think that differentiating abilities between long and short rests can help balance longer encounters. So where you as the DM are saying, like, no, you can't rest. You're in the mine. It's not safe. Like, rules as written, it has to be a safe place. You could say it's safe and do a random encounter and make it not safe. So if they're insistent and they're like, oh, well, then we just sit here for eight hours. It's like, okay, uh, an hour passes and a patrol comes down the tunnel. Like, you're not going to benefit from the rest. Um, but I think that that the differentiation between the long and short rests, particularly in 5e, helps balance longer encounters where your party is not doing that. And we're going to talk a little bit later about um, like trust and faith in the DM and in the players as it relates to this. Um, but I think that you really need to have that to be able to to have your players not sort of abuse the rest and to not have you always have to interrupt their rests just to get them to do what you're doing. Um, You get the final say, right? So the differentiation is good mechanically. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But as the DM, they could be... We go back to the tavern and we try to have lunch and we're going to take a long rest from noon to 8 and we'll go back at night. It's like, well, you woke up at 8, so you go 
and it's the middle of the day in the tavern, and you're upstairs, you're laying in your bed, you're trying to rest, and downstairs, it's it's a commotion, there's ruckus, it's the lunch rush, like, you, you don't benefit from the rest. Um, and as the DM, you really have to be able to say when and when it's not okay to do those. Um, the dichotomy of short versus long rests, especially in 5e, lets classes like the Druid, Warlock, Monk, or others have the power to keep going through a long day when your players aren't constantly begging for a rest. So if you've got really good players, trust and faith exists between you and them, and them and you, and they go into a dungeon, maybe they'll get a short rest. They're probably not getting a long rest until they're out of it, right? My players kind of know that. So they can go in, they can uh, blow a bunch of their abilities, and, you know, I've got a druid and a warlock, so if they use their wild shapes or their spell slots, they're gone. And I want them I want them to feel encouraged to do that. So I think part of the solution to this really lies on the knowledge of the DM to know which classes can make use of a short rest and kind of need it to be up to par with everyone else and which classes are trying to get a long rest just to, right? So a paladin looking for a long rest, like, yeah, he wants his smite backs. Like, he used them. Get over it. Um, a, a monk looking for a short rest so that they can meditate for 15 minutes and get their key back so they can do flurry of blows, like the, the titular monk thing. Like, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> um, so I think it it's not game-breaking to do short rests, and it's really valuable to the classes and the players that play those. Um, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier. I think it's a session one topic that, like, how how difficult do your players want the adventures to be? How forgiving or unforgiving do they want them to be? And and you get a feel for it. Like, I, I've been DMing the same group for a long time, and I know that one of my players holds on to... She tries to keep one of her wild shapes until she needs it. She'll use the first one, and she'll be wary about the second one. And I think after players start to learn that, then that's where... Um, and again, we'll talk about it a little bit here in a minute, um, that resource management comes into play, and some of that comes with experience. And as a DM, you can sort of help build the experience that leads to your players using their resources effectively. So... I guess I would call it a pro in the sense that it helps you as a DM learn how to DM better. Um, but it can be a con if you really don't know how to do it. Um, and, and, and you and mentioned narrative as the big con, or as one of right. the cons. Um, well, I just I think that it can get in the way of the, pro the story progression, like the progression of the game. And, and I used my Lord of the Rings example where, you know, instead of that very emotional moment between Sam and Frodo, you have a, okay, we're going to um, sleep. Right. right. We, we right. just beat Colum. So, so I'm going to get the pot out and I'm going to try and make a little stew and, and we're going to sleep because, and, and, I get it, right? I've been that player. I'm mm -hmm. looking at the mouth of the volcano, and I'm like, I don't know what's in there, but I've got this stupid magic ring that I've got to chuck in there. You know, I've been hunted by 
Nazgul's and Smeagol and orcs and right, right. Humans, you know, power seeking humans like what's what's there? Like maybe Sauron standing <laughs> standing just inside the door and he's gonna go boo and grab me. Like I'm gonna need all my abilities. And if you were playing D and D, a D and D version of the Lord of the Rings, as a DM, I would like I'd anticipate that that was coming. Like, wow, we just beat up Smegol, hopefully for the last time. You know, we hit him with a rock; he's not moving. Sweet, let's let's make camp. Sure, sure. <laughs> and and I, uh, you know, there's part of me that's like, yep, I, you know, I wouldn't fault them for that. But then there's the other part of me that is like, this is the end of this epic story like don't don't stop don't stop right uh, so narrative is a thing you talked a little bit about metagaming um will you talk yeah. a, a moment about uh you have it in the notes as hoarding resources what uh, yes. what do you think about that so so my my thought here is that these you know you wake up in the morning and you can cast two first level spells or you can cast so many things until you go to bed at night and and it makes sense. Like I'm a young wizard, right? I can do Wingardium Leviosa a couple of times, and then I can't levitate anymore. I totally get that. That mechan- that that's the whole reason for character progression. That's why people play these games. Is so, you know, hey, pretty soon I'm going to be able to cast four spells per day. Ha ha ha! I'm super powerful now. Um, but it creates this. I don't want, like you were saying with with your druid character, I don't want to use that ability because things might, there there might be a bigger risk later where naturally that character might use that ability because they are, that that's just the way it goes, right? And and I always like to look for like we had talked about in the what type of player are you or the types of players, right? I'm a method actor, so I'm always looking for what would this character actually do? Like my bard, Dolrea, she throws inspiration like it's like it's water. She ins- Like if we get into trouble, she's chucking out inspiration because she's three foot seven and 48 pounds soaking wet. She doesn't want to have to fight whatever is coming at us. Naturally. So she is constantly throwing inspiration to the frontline fighters so that they can fight better. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether it's 9 a.m. or midnight, she's constantly doing that because that's part of her character. Now, yes, eventually she gets her throat gets sore or she gets hoarse or she runs out of cheery things to say to people and she doesn't have any more inspiration but um i i i'm i'm and i used to be one of those characters like oh I, we all we all did when we started right we all you like, all do what you, you start you all do it you don't know you don't know what you don't know exactly the that's a powerful word right of there. human human psychology kicks in and says i've only got three i've got to be careful about how i spend them it's like yeah you're a wizard, and that's the first orc you've seen ever in your life. You're gonna blow every magic missile you have because, you know, it's you're terrifying. Yeah, I think so. I I think I agree. Right, I agree that this is a con. I think that having limited resources inspires people to do the five minute workday and want to, you know, preserve what they have 
for everything. Um, I think part of this, I think part of it comes from video games where you've got like noted cooldowns on things, and it's like, oh, I got eight seconds before I can cast Frostbolt, then I'll just wait eight seconds, and not like, right. oh, when will I? And so I think it's the when will I, I, I think what it is is it's the fear of of spending resources or not having resources. It's that fear of the unknown that is so permeable into the human spirit that any person playing the role-playing game especially when they first start and one of my players did this with the wild shapes was just like well i might need it right i might need I, i'm afraid to not have this resource available to me um and and part of the pro there it, it, it's a con if you don't know how to handle it and part right. of what we try to do is be educational. So here's how to handle it, right? Use that as encouragement to encourage your players to to do things at the times when they need to do them. So like I mentioned earlier, uh, as part of my recap for, for my group, one of my players has been sitting on these wish beads for a long time and they like they were split from the party so it was just them and someone else but the other character like fell pretty quick and is a fighter like the the characters know that the one who fell is tougher than the other one um and she got scared and reacted that way um and so i think as a dm you can try to use some of that fear and encourage that to be a way for players to spend resources instead of hold them be like no what you're fighting is really bad you probably want to use that now um and then you know if you're doing a lot of that then do give the rest you don't want to purposefully um oh you're fighting those first four goblins in the cave they've got these brutal looking swords and awful looking faces and they slash and cut at you and yeah a couple of guys take a couple of damage and they're like oh shoot those guys are 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 scary and and bad i maybe i should use my maybe i should use a heal maybe i should burn a spell slot um and so sometimes that that con can become a pro and and other times as the dm encourage them to do what they what they can do you know you're a heroic character especially in 5 especially in 7c right like you've been you maybe have not encouraged the use of hero points as much as as i would if i were running a group for new people and i've been playing for like 8 weeks so i'm not a professional by any count um but I might encourage more hero point usage because that's the the limited resource you get it back every session. That's that's our long rest, you know. Use those things every session. It's okay. Right. Um, and I and and the more I think about this, I think the way one of the ways you can as a DM. And and it's difficult, right? Even as even as an old DM, I lose track of time. Like what. You know what? What time is it when the party gets up? What time is it when the party really? sets out? That's How not long... you. You lose track of that. I I, I or am not. You as, don't track it. Is that the? I'm not as good at tracking it as I wish I was. I wish I had better note taking for when things happen because then the the request for a long rest might be. You know, hey, we really got tore up. Those. 
you know, it wasn't four goblins, it was eight. And everyone in the party took wounds. One player went down to, you know, two hit points before death. And, you know, it's four o'clock in the afternoon. It's like, yeah, you know, you've been, you've had the tar kicked out of you. It's early evening. Sure, you can retreat from the cave and set up a defensive position and set a watch and, and take a rest. Um, or if the party asks for one in an inappropriate time, like, hey, it's 10 a.m., I want to go to sleep. This is the, one of the other things I, I think I've got this later on for under fixes mm-hmm. is you toss and turn and you can't fall asleep. Or you do fall asleep. Like, yeah, this this was a rough morning, and you fall asleep, and you sleep for eight hours. It's 10. You're now awake. It's about quarter after six in the evening, and now you're going to be up all night. Right, right. Like, which would naturally... I guess I guess that's kind of the... the that five-minute work week. Um, if players try that nonsense on you, make sure that the consequences or that the what happens is relatively realistic again i i always go back to you know what would happen in the real world if you woke up at let's say you wake up at seven in the morning and at 9 a.m you're like i think i'm gonna try and sleep for another eight hours you you wouldn't you'd lay in bed and you toss and you turn and your body wouldn't comply because your circadian rhythms aren't built you you can't (laughs) yeah to sleep so and and even if you, you know, wrestled a friend or did a hundred jumping jacks, you still wouldn't be able to make yourself fall asleep mm-hmm. right after sleeping eight hours. So I, I will seed you another con in that you mentioned that it's a little meta gamey, and I will also add that it's a little min maxi. Because if you have yes. players who are are really like completely built around a short rest and they're like, oh, let's just take 15 minutes, take a short rest. Like, okay, we'll do that for you, because you do the most damage, and you get a short rest. And then they fight another thing, and it's like, oh, we'll wait another 15 minutes, right? So, like, not trying to do the full long rest, but a player who's really built around the short rest, and who knows that mechanically, and is... It's a little bit metagamey, but it's also a little roleplay, right? Like if you're a monk and you spend all of your key, you're gonna want to meditate. To, to like, you're not gonna feel good in your body as a monk without that life energy. Right. So that so makes you're sense. Want but to stop and meditate, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So so as a DM, I think that's that's probably the trickiest part is when players have like a a good roleplay reason but you want it to be more challenging or you don't want to entertain the rest. And it's like, well, do I kick that monk in the pants or do I seed another rest? And and it just depends. My question would be what makes sense for the adventure. Right. If they're in a dungeon crawl and they just cleared a room and the monk says, hey, before we go to the next room, I'd like to meditate. Or the cleric says before I go into the next room, I'd like to pray and try and get some spells back. Then Um, again, if the, the monsters, like if you're four rooms deep and the, the alarm bells are ringing because the monsters know that invaders are coming into their dungeon, like 
there, there could be a squad of goblins coming after you or sure, sure, right yeah. they there there could be you know they they go to their hog pen and they release all of their pigs and they they're like we'll just try and stampede these people and we'll push this the stampede of pigs through the dungeon and right hey you're meditating and all of a sudden you hear oinks and squeaks and the clatter of hooves and you know it's it's not mm -hmm. combat you're not going to get hurt by these pigs but they're going to rush by you and cause you to come out of your your meditative trance yep no rest and 5e clerics are a long rest but yeah the monk the monk analogy stands yeah so um rests are one of those what you called mechanics that can kill the mood um you know the more we talk about it the the I the wrote the more solutions that you find are viable to solving your problems? Yes. Yes, yeah, which I, is the goal, right? Like, you've been a DM for how long? 20, 30 years? If you're still learning yeah. things, then we are definitely teaching people stuff. Gosh, <laughs> no, but but that's, yeah, so... so... I've I've always been a you know I don't like the five minute work week. Um, I think that like I said that kills can kill the narrative. It can kill the story. It can it can I don't want to say ruin the game, but it slows the game down. Yeah. And and the more we talk about ways to fix it, I think the less it is a mood killer if you handle it appropriately. Yeah, I think that's a good way to phrase it. And I do I hope that some of the suggestions that we've given have been helpful, but. Like yeah, that's a it's an important part to know like how to deal with tricky things your players can do, and this is definitely a tricky thing that more like meta knowledgeable players will have, and finding those creative narrative solutions to it are are good. And I think yeah. you're right that it can slow down narrative, and so as the DM, you you just have to be willing to like put your foot down and be like, nope, it's you're you're in the dungeon, you're looking for the princess who was captured by the the fire breathing dragon or fire breathing lizard. You're gonna right. get there and do it as soon as you, you don't sit there in Mario and just wait. Like, <laughs> well, so so I mean, that that's actually I was I was thinking about that. I was gonna say, you know, Bowser isn't interested in eating Princess Peach. He just wants to hold her in that room. And however long it takes Mario to get there is how long it takes him to get there. But in a TT in a tabletop roleplay game, like. The bad guy takes the princess or kidnaps the village, the children of the village because they're going to sacrifice them to Azathoth or they're going to impregnate the, the, the princess with their child so they can have their own, you know. Right, like, the, the, it's a li like if it's a living world, there are real threats. There are real threats that have a time mechanic and... And mm -hmm. yes, hey, we're chasing after the the orcs or the gob. These goblins have have s s taken away all of the children of the village in the middle of the night. Well, that's because they're going to eat them. So, you know, yes, it's nine a.m. and we fought the first four goblins. But gosh darn it, we're going to sit here and and try and get you know forty winks and, and eight hours eight right. hours of sleep. Right. It's like okay. Nope. I, you know, and as a as a GM, if the party's really being obstinate about it, fine. That's four children that have been uh, butchered and are boiling in a pot. Right. Their their reward. You could decrease their rewards. You could decrease like, like if you think about it, like a Telltale game or like um, 
like a super massive game it's like the the relationship like they will remember that like the townspeople will remember that you were having lunch at the tavern instead of saving their children who are returned to them in burlap sacks well that i mean if if that was the if that was kind of the game that there'd be no way that party would have lunch the tavern owner wouldn't serve them perhaps right the, yeah the no that's farmer a good whose daughter whose three children are were taken away in the middle of the night would be like get back out there on from the end of their end of the bar it's like what are you doing hey our wizard cast his three spells so we're not going anywhere until he can remember his spells it's like my kids out there what the hell's wrong right exactly you've got a big stick hit the goblins with a stick dumbledore so so let's jump to let's jump to fixes and we'll we'll circle back to my story near the end so um you mentioned earlier that like using exhaustion rules for resting is is a good idea so if your party gets their rest interrupted or if they can't rest do make use of exhaustion or other mechanics that that make that harder and if you're a dm trying to get your party not to rest as much you interrupt long rests so those goblin guards that you mentioned in the cave uh you fought them and before you open the door into the cave, you're going to take a, a rest there. And, you know, your party decides to go with the rest and they do it and they they badger you as a new DM into it. And you say, well, the door opens and there are goblin guards who hear you because of the noise. Um, that's a, a terrific fix. Um, we talked You're- a little bit about encouraging the spending of your resources. Um, right. and, and I talked a little bit about how newer players really try to hold on to theirs, but if you as the DM encourage, like, nope, this is this is the real dangerous thing, like, they're getting pretty hurt, you know, you describe awful combat wounds and powerful magic or a physical prowess from the enemies, and people will get the sense that this is a dire situation. Um, what else? So, so I have in here track hireling wages closely. So, do you do a lot of hirelings? So, so in the olden I days, I did because we were we we were very focused on things like rations and encumbrance, and you know, if if you wanted to set out for a month, you know, a month's worth of oh, food yeah. and water oh, weighs yeah. a crap ton. Totally right. So, and and if you fought something and you found a thousand gold pieces like there there was none of this like well okay instead of finding a thousand gold pieces you find a gem worth a thousand gold pieces and you can put it in your pocket no sorry sucker there's a pile of gold coins and it weighs 800 pounds well 50 50 coins is a pound in 5e but exactly yeah that's the point right what i'm saying right so so yeah. we used to do a lot of don't have bags of, of holdings and and um, henchmen. Um, I, when I get higher level, I always hire henchmen because that makes sense to me. Um, yes. Well, you're very. Again, I'm I'm a method actor player, so. My... Well, and you grew up at like the height of capitalism, so. So that makes sense. Like I I can't carry all of this stuff by myself. And I don't want to leave it behind. I need help, right? And and henchmen and hirelings just make sense. Plus, there's the whole developing the next generation. So if I'm a if I'm a twelfth level bard, 
I should probably be training, like I should have a one or two or three level bard who's kind of like learning my songs and learning my trade, that kind of, you know, so that... You could, you could, not all, not all heroes sense. take apprentices. Not all heroes do, but I've traditionally have done that with my higher level characters, so... Maybe I'll um, encourage that later on in my game and see how it goes. I have, I've never dealt with hirelings, so... Yep, we'll and then consequences, like we were just talking about, right? Angry, the townsfolks hired you to do this job. Right, right. They, they they were, you know, parading you through the streets and waving you and cheering you on at 9 a.m. And here you are back at 11 with a couple of bruises and, uh, gosh, I really need a beer. I was like, what, what the hell, hero. man? Get out. Get like, you're not heroes. You're bums. Get out of here. We're not, you know, the, the tavern's door slam in your face and nobody yeah. will give you, you know. Which yeah, I think is your your narrative solution, right? So if you're if if Frodo and Bilbo, Frodo and Sam did rest there, then everybody at the Black Gate would have been killed. So right. yeah, right. no that, that consequences is a great Aragorn, solution, right? There is a day that we will be afraid, but it is not this day. And then the gates open, and they just get mowed down. End of movie. That's, that's a very, very different film. <laughs> and, and it's all because the players who were playing Frodo and Samwise were like, gosh, that was a rough fight. Let's take a rest. DM? Yeah, go ahead. Have a long rest. Oh, by the way, all your friends are dead. Yeah. I do want to add as a quick caveat... And I don't, I don't like this in real life, so I don't do it as a DM. But I okay. don't encourage being vindictive. So if your players are doing that and it's annoying you, the solution isn't to punish them narratively. No, um, no, I, I am not encouraging. No, no, I, I know, I know you no, weren't I, either, but because I didn't even think down those lines because I tend, I, I also don't. I'm saying it more as a joke, like it's funny. The, you know, if the, if the movie ended that way, that would be like people would be like, "What?" Yeah, no, it it'd be outrageous, no, I, but it's I am, I am not, not a in, good no, fix. No DM. So so I'll I'll make this statement very definitively. We'll right? see. As a DM, you should never oh. punish your players for their choices in the game. Disagree. And we've um, talked about that before, like not letting your players abuse NPCs on the NPC episode. Like you don't want to let your players have full run of everything. But so, so, so but you're right. You're in, right. In my mind, there's a difference between punishing, just just being vindictive and punishing on players, mm -hmm. and having players realize consequences for their actions. I think those are two separate. Like yeah, I just wanted to know, clarify. I'm in front of the king. Well, you are no longer welcoming court, which means you don't get any of the juicy quests. You have to get the the crap quests of, you know, there's a goblin showing his rear end to, to, <laughs> to people on this bridge. Go beat him up. It's like, but the other party gets to go fight a dragon. I'm an eighth level barbarian. What? <laughs> Yeah, I'm an eighth level barbarian. You want me to go beat up a goblin who's a, a flashing goblin? Yeah, because you're the jackass that farted in front of the king, and he doesn't want to see you in court ever again. Yeah, like, that to me, that's not punishment. That's consequence. Right, right. I just wanted, to, I just wanted to to note the, the the clarity there. Right, and and that's kind of my my um, 
you know, you knew you as a DM should never punish players for their choices. Rarely, rarely punish to a point where the players are playing a game that you're not enjoying. You're playing, the players are playing a game that you really aren't on board with and whether that, you know, well, so I mean, this could be its own whole episode because it depends. There's so many, it depends clauses, right? Like, is it your does, right? And and this goes back to session zero. Like if in session zero, you said, you know, forcible sex and misogyny, not something I'm really interested in. And, Every time the party meets a female, they're like, oh, I, I'm going to roll to seduce. You as a DM can say, look, guys, we agreed nope. <laughs> that this really wasn't the game I wanted to play. Now, if this is the game you want to play, somebody else needs to DM because I'm, you know, I'm out. Right. Or I'm not comfortable. Right. That That's yeah. a discussion you have. But yep. but as a DM, don't. And, and it's easy. Right. It's easy as the DM to, <laughs> to follow your own rules, to say, hey. That's the eighth female they've treated like a sex object and tried to bang. The ninth female they run into is going to be a twenty level, twentieth level lawful evil uh, vampire that's going to just kill them. Nice. That's a good fit. Well, so I I would handle that out of game because I treat sexual violence as a like a if you do it I will ask you to leave no warning so right but that's again that's, that's something I established that you've talked about yeah yeah that's players, a session nope. zero rule for all of my players like that's the one hard rule at my table is like if you do that you will be asked to leave no questions asked so um but don't just punish like okay you and 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 I think new dms they they throw the the punishment hammer more quickly. They they mm-hmm. well. And, and I think it's an experience thing, right? Yep. Where you know, hey, I've asked them to stop long resting. I'm just gonna you know hit them with a thousand or you know a hundred orcs come boiling out of the the cavern. It's like, well, that, that maybe not, right? That that narrative yeah. is too broad. Um, but. But yeah, no, I, I, I really want to draw a really distinct line between consequences of actions, which I totally 100% agree with, mm-hmm. and punishing players just because they're doing something you don't you don't like. Right. I think part of the, the new DM trap is that they take some of their world pretty personally, especially if it's a homebrew world. I did this early on when I was the DM, when players... Uh, you know, didn't like something or didn't like someone, and they're like, "Oh, I'm just gonna kill him, or I'm just gonna ignore him," and it's like, "Oh man, I'm gonna make something bad happen because you did something I didn't like." Um, and it's it, it's just hard to let people play in your sandbox, and you you just really have to be okay with whatever they decide to do. No, it's Out, outside of those session zero things. And and as a DM, you've got to remember, right, that. The, the world and even fantasy worlds, e- fantasy worlds more so than regular, the regular good old reality <laughs> is a, is a broad and beautiful and varied creation. So mm-hmm. yes, the, there are eight ruling mother matrons in Menzo Barons on according to Canon. And it's, I don't, I'm not going to name them because then John will pick on me for being a drow lover. Well, it'll and take a while too. And a spider kisser. Um, but yes, that's the canon. And and you can look up all of the different canon for all of the different games. But you've got to remember 
right? That Menzo Berenzon is a massive city of tens of thousands of individuals, just like, you know, New York City right. on the East Coast is this massive city of a million human beings. Right. Yes. There, there are lawful good lawyers and there are chaotic evil gangsters. Yeah. And, and most of them know how to hail a taxi and most of them know how to ride the subway and they all they most of them talk funny right we have stereotypes because stereotypes help us categorize collections of people but psych 101 th there is a person who lives in New York City who's been living in New York City for a decade who doesn't know how to use the subway I guarantee it mm -hmm. guarantee it there, there are people in New York City who are fabulous fly fisher people. They love fly fishing. And you're like, well, where the heck do they fly fish? You can't fish in the East River. No, you can't. But they might go on vacation. Like, so what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is it, new DMs tend to glam onto the tropes and the stereotypes and their world becomes kind of, flat or one-dimensional right mm -hmm. hey you know the party's in front of the king and they mouth off at the king well again he's a king so he's got seneschals and stewards and the hand of the king if you're playing you know if you've read any of the games of thrones and and servants and all sorts of other things that are around him um don't don't be afraid to pull some of that stuff in and also don't be afraid to play against the stereotype in your yeah yeah provide definitely. something against the stereotype in your world so um i'm not really sure where i was going that I, no that's I all right um part of part of i think part of that segues nicely into sort of the last thing that i want to mention and that is that that the five-minute workday, taking rests, any sort of mechanics that you feel like jam you out of the game, um, all can, can, maybe not should, and certainly not always, but can be reduced to how much uh, either presence or lack thereof, trust and or faith between the DM and the players. Um, and so I, I've mentioned it, once or twice already, um, taking those rests, like, you're in the cave, you can't take a rest right now. The, the players sort of have to be able to trust the DM and have the faith that, like, okay, yep, something bad might also be in here, we can't take a rest, and that's okay. Um, and I think that, that having trust and faith is just so critically important from Session Zero that that has to be something that is built upon over time and not something that is constantly worked down. Um, and that's, that's a, it's a lofty DM goal to say, I want my players to trust me more, or I want my players to have more faith in me. Um, because if you need to say that, or if you decide to say that, because you don't need to, but you could choose to, you're implying a little bit that there is some lack thereof, trust and faith. And identifying whatever lack that is, so you've got the wizard who always holds on to his spells because he knows that you've got a monster around the corner for the cliffhanger, then, you know, like you said, ch change it up. Do something a little different. Um, and, and have that be 
okay by that player who's playing the wizard. You want to make sure that you're less characters, less in-game, but out-of-game, your players between you, between them and you as the DM, GM, ha have to have a degree of understanding where, okay, yep, this is an okay time to rest, this is not, and this is how it is. And and as a sort of a, uh, do you have anything to add to that before I give a little closure story? No, so so I'm 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 thinking, and of course I'm thinking of other game systems beyond Five E, and I think this is where Five sure, E sure. might get a bad rap, even though I've been you know pretty down on Five E this whole episode, where things like Seventh C, or Alien, or Paranoia, or Call of Cthulhu, have a more like the the story elements are more formulaic, right? It's more mm -hmm. like if you play Alien, in right? The you you know you're not getting the rest because you're 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 right. pressing through the adventure. E you... Everyone's seen one or more of the Alien movies. They understand what that story is, right? Right. In in Seventh Sea, there's an element of shared storytelling. So. I'm not, yeah, I'm the GM, but 7th C players have way more agency when they roll successes to change that narrative based on what they've done. Right. Um, so, so there isn't a rest there. Call of Cthulhu, yes, it's mystery, but it's also horror, and everyone kind of winds up with a bad end, so... Um, you know the the way those games usually play is um it, it's a it's and i go back to that concept of push your luck a lot of a lot of those horror games are push your luck kind of games like mm -hmm. it's bad now and if i don't survive <laughs> now i'm not gonna see what's next Ex exactly it, you would it, you would really like 10 candles and and in and in Five E and Pathfinder and Starfinder and some of the more traditional the D twenty style role play games, mm -hmm. the the story arc is is open and and there really isn't unless you've read the modules right unless you've read the Curse of Strahd book or you've read the Tomb of Annihilation or you've read the Skull and Shackles. You as the player don't know what's going on. Like Skull and Shackles mm -hmm. is a perfect example. Hey, you're press as level one. You're press ganged. You're on a pirate ship, and it's like, well, can I fight the pirates? Well, they they're probably <laughs> eight levels higher than you. So the you, answer you is you could, <laughs> but but could, don't but you're lose, and they're not going to kill you because they need your dumbass to tie knots and raise and lower sails. So they're going to beat the crap out of Swab you. Swab the deck. And and make you swab the deck and clean the chamber pots until, yeah. you know, well, as soon as I'm healthy, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to clean anything. I'm just going to sit in the brig. It's like, oh, okay, well, you know, I've got five more books that we need to play. And if your character is just going to sit in the brig and do nothing, they're going to stop beating you. Like, Right. <laughs> You're not going to get to play. This game is going to end badly. <laughs> like, but yeah. And I and I think that's the problem. That's one of the problems. Um, and as a DM or a GM, one of the like we were talking about trust. One of the ways is to telegraph without destroying the mystery, kind of where you are in the story. 
right? Mm-hmm. So I, which back. is tricky. It's it's hard to do as the DM. That, that is hard to do as a DM, and and even experienced DMs will find that difficult to do. If you play with the same group of people, you can right there are inside jokes and and ways that you can send signals to people to let them know like this is the big encounter for this day or you know yeah no, of course there's a bigger problem coming down the pipe and and there's ways to communicate that but mm-hmm. um just like in in my example with samwise and and frodo right that there's only 20 minutes left to the movie get off you know right <laughs> right um, right so and and you know thematically that you you can also take a pause i mean this is the other thing too when your players ask for that long rest you could take a pause and ask about what's going on in people's minds like Ooh, tell sure. tell me why your wizard wants to pause well he doesn't have any spells okay well okay <laughs> so he doesn't have any spells what what's going like is is that it like i i can i can't go on if i have no spells well, he's afraid you might get into combat. It's like, right. well, talk to your, like, instead of giving you guys a long rest, I'll make you a deal. I'll give you a short rest and talk about, so the wizard doesn't want to move. Like, you know, players, you play this. Play play this out. Don't yeah. make me as the DM just say. Oh, that's a great, so, that's a great suggestion. Um Wizard, why don't you, why do you want a long rest? I'm out of spells and I don't want to be useless during combat. Barbarian, why why do you want to rest? Well, you know, I lost half my hit points and I want to roll some hit dice. Okay. Um so so like you you're sharing kind of your fears and trepidations and and that's good role play. I'll rem- and then as the GM, this is where you go. I'll remind you that the goblins took 12 children in the night. And if you delay, you might not return with 12 live children. Are you still willing to delay? Right, and that sort of hopefully nudges that wizard. Well, and then especially if the wizard is of good alignment, um, right? uh, then I'll tweak them with the alignment. We talked about alignment already, but then I'll tweak them with their alignment. It's like, hey, you're neutral good. Are you willing to let your personal fears of inadequacy cost the life of a child? I mean, if you were neutral, good, maybe, but... Not good. Neutral, true neutral, maybe. Neutral, evil, absolutely, but good? If you're on that G side of the spectrum... Yeah, but it's a neutral good, so, like, is that really the greatest good for the number, the most number of people? Like, it could, it, they could present you with an argument, right? And then you just have to hear it and judge it fairly as the DM. Sure, but if the rest of the party is also good... Right. Yeah. Right. They they may nudge that player forward as well. They may nudge that player, or you could nudge a party. Like if the whole party is like, "Oh yeah, shit, we gotta have a rest." It's like, um, so I'm noticing on all your character sheets that you are of good alignment. Would are you willing to be lazy? And and I I I, I put that fine of a point on it, right? Because you know how I feel about five. Everyone now knows how I feel about the five minute workday. Like, yep. Are you willing? <laughs> to take an eight-hour lazy day if it costs the life of a child sure oh i I could talk a whole lot about how laziness doesn't exist but that's a that's a psych discussion not a gaming discussion right um but so like you you wish to rest and not put yourself at any risk whatsoever like you don't even know what's down the hall like 
this may be the the only four goblins in this cave. And you're going to walk down the hall and there's going to be some a goblin lady who's a cook who's not going to fight you because she doesn't have any combat skills and 12 sacks full of children. Like, maybe you don't, you don't know what's down there and you're automatically assuming. And this this goes this circles back. This actually does yep. circle. Back yeah, to back to the, the meta gaming a little and um, trust and faith. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because the players don't know the characters have no clue what's down the hall, but the players and the GM are kind of constructing the, the fiction, the narrative together. Right. So this is where, you know, you, you can kind of lean on that trust and faith Yep. and tell a good story. And that's really, really what you need. So in closing for this episode, I'd like to just share a story. Um, about trust and faith that has has sort of hit me in the past week. Um, In our last session this past Sunday, um, right at the start, one of the characters, um, they were exploring the these ruins on this island. uh, And one of the players, um, all of the players were offshore, uh, uh, maybe 10 feet underwater in these these ruins of this fallen tower that fell from the island into the, the lake and um, one of the players touches a, a pedestal where the the relic that they're seeking supposedly once sat, and it triggered these unique and deific visions for everyone. And after the session, uh, my players usually hang out and and then we talk and we bullshit a little bit about the session. You know, wh- what's coming next? What do we want to do? How were the fights? Were they challenging? Uh, what was exciting? What wasn't? Um, and one player mentioned something, and I can't say what it is because I, I don't know how many or if any of my players listen to this, but um, they made a comment, and I had to send them a message about that comment in private, and I did that through Discord. And I, I'm not going to talk more about the context of that message, um, but in response to what they, they had a suspicion, I privately affirmed their suspicion because I like doing that when players have these uncanny instincts and they're like, oh, but what if this is the way that it is? I'll message that player and say, shut up, you're right. <laughs> and um, uh, in response to me saying like, hey, yeah, that's you, you nailed it. This is sort of what's going on. It's super cool. I think it's great. He thought it was great. And the responses that I got from him were just, like, glowing. And he was ecstatic about what I had shared and was, like, praising the adventure and and me as a DM doing the things that I have been doing to the point where he was like, how do I donate to you? Like, how does can can I buy you a beer? Um, And I'm, you know, it's Thursday, so I'm I'm still processing that a little bit. And I, I just, that my players have that much regard for the work that I do as a DM and 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 that's I don't know that's that's why I DM right that's why I'm a voluntary forever DM is because I get so much more satisfaction from creating the world I talked about this a whole lot in the world building episode like that that's why I do it and weaving this story and having people just revel in it that I could ever get like playing as a character of my own which like frankly as I I, I get get to do that all the time as a DM. Um, but 
as we are closing this episode, sort of talking about like how you know trust and faith is important in regards to rests and player resource management between like when the players are allowed by the DM allowed air quotes by the DM to manage their resources. Um, I thought that that would be a very 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 cool story to tell. Um, that I guess toots my own horn a little bit. I'm just very proud, and it's very cool to have a player be that excited and happy about the adventure that you've woven. And that only happens because you establish trust and faith and you have that session zero conversation. And as the DM, you make small tweaks and changes as you continue to get feedback. And it just makes the whole game better and better and better. And it's hard. It's hard as a DM to say, I, you know, I would like, I would like my players to trust me more. Because by saying that, you're sort of admitting that they have some degree of lack of trust in you. And by identifying that for yourself as a DM, like, hey, maybe maybe my players need a little more faith in me. Um, that can really help inform the decisions that you make in terms of what rests they get and what other stuff they get and what happens with them and the outcome of their heroes and the outcome of the adventure and it's it just all trickles down and just creates this wonderful melting pot of shared roleplay experience that is tabletop roleplaying games. And that's, if you're DMing, that's the goal. So I think, um, I think unless you have any other comments or thoughts about mechanics or, um, or faith or trust. No, all right. So that's or probably gonna being, or plays or players just being flat out lazy. <laughs> well, so we, we could talk about the laziness thing later. We can talk about that off show because I can give you some research and and whatever. But um, I think that is gonna be a, a round out to the show. So okay. thanks a whole lot. If you have tuned in, feel free to drop a comment or uh, a like or whatever if you're on YouTube or on the blog, uh, iTunes, what have you. If you want to ask a question, interact with us, have a question answered on the show, um, just tweet at jmscoda5 or at redhoodiegames. Um, and if you would like to do anything more to support us, head on over to patreon.com skoda, that's S-K-O-D-A. And anything that you can donate, even from a dollar, you get access to a, a Patreon channel in our Discord. Um, you can hang out, talk with us about our games, get more frequent updates, ask questions, have questions asked on the show. Um, any of that is super awesome. So thanks a whole lot for listening, and we will see you next week on Set the Table. No, two weeks. Two weeks, sorry. Yes, two weeks. All right, cheers, folks. Good day. Good day.